Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. message this morning to you. Dan has been engaging us in, a, in an awesome series called Live Loved, and uh, he's going he's gonna to come back to that series next week. But as I thought and prayed about what to talk about today, I was feeling led to talk about, uh, pick up on something actually that I began the last time I preached in this broad and amazing subject of faith, and I talked about hot faith at the end of December. But today I want to do a sequel to that called Hungry Faith, the very thing that Shane was praying about a few moments ago. Hungry Faith and experiencing more of Jesus. And so we want to look at that, but I, I want, as we do that, I want you to also understand that we're not just disembarking totally from what Dan's talking about, that we're not, this isn't just a, a, a diversion, but uh, the subject of faith and the subject of, of love are so intertwined. And as we look at the scriptures, we see that, it's, in fact, it says without faith, we can't even please God. It's the foundation of everything that we believe and everything that we practice as followers of Jesus. But the greatest expression of that faith then becomes love. Jesus said, all the, the summarization of the law and the prophets, all the teachings can be put this way. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love others as yourself. And then, of course, the Apostle John wrote, if you love him, you'll obey him. So, so faith and love and obedience are so interconnected, it's so intertwined in the scriptures. You cannot have one without the other. And so I want us to look at today's message as a compliment to what Dan is uh, teaching us in this awesome series about living loved. I, I want to I relate to just a little illustration about uh, my, my granddaughter. We have uh, uh, one of my daughters. I have four grown kids, awesome adults, just love them to bits. And, and uh, well, one of my daughters is visiting with us for a while with her two little ones. And the oldest of those two is just about to turn two. <laughs> it's interesting, yeah. <laughs> You kind of forget after a while, but, but she's a doll, and, and uh, I, I really enjoy her. But uh, Diane and I have been making a practice, at least during the weekdays, uh, before she goes to work, of taking a walk, and during that walk, we pray. We didn't want to stop that, and Isabel enjoys, this is my granddaughter Isabel, she enjoys going out with us on walks, so we'll take her each morning, we'll put her in the stroller, and we'll take her on this walk with us, and we'll, we'll begin to pray, and and, but uh, she loves gospel songs, and so we'll pray a bit, and then we'll start to sing a song, a Christian song. Well, not that one, but uh, <laughs> it, it might work. I haven't tried it. <laughs> wow, that was that was interesting. So so <laughs> so we'll walk. And we'll pray, and then we'll start singing a, a, a song, a Christian song. And, and we get to the end of the song, and she'll go, more. And then we'll sing another song, and she'll go, more. 
and we'll sing another song. And she'll go, more. And she, literally, she would keep on going and going and going unless we started to pray again or distract her somehow. But we'll come back and sing some more after we pray a bit. More, more. And I, I think that that's a beautiful metaphor of our relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And many times in the scriptures, we are called a child of God. We are uh, uh, children of, of the living God. And one of the main reasons I believe that Jesus uses this analogy of children is because the faith of children is so pure and simple. You tell them, you tell a little child something, and they'll believe it until they reach about 13 or so, and then they don't believe anything. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm talking about if you, if you had that experience. But like our granddaughter, as children of God, we're to live daily with this hunger for Christ and this hunger for more of all that Christ has called us into as citizens of his eternal kingdom. Faith in Christ calls us to reach for more. Faith calls us to seek more. It calls us to believe Him for more because there's always more. And my qualifier here this morning is that I'm not talking about some sort of name it, claim it, or prosperity type of gospel, but I am talking about experiencing more of Him, more of His kingdom, more of His will for our lives. It's like the old hymn, I love this old hymn, it says, it's called More About Jesus. And uh, it says, more about Jesus, what I know. More of his grace to others show. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. More about Jesus, let me learn. More of his holy will discern. Spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. More. Let's pray. And we want that, Lord. We want more of you. We want you. And so, Lord, as we engage your word this morning, engage us. Take us deeper into yourself and into your truths. And lead us now and in the, in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I, uh, I've been reading through the Old Testament again, and I just recently was reading in the book of Joshua, and I was really captivated with some of the things that were going on there, and especially perhaps with regard to uh, chapters 15 to 19, where I want to look this morning uh, and talk about this matter of hungry faith. But I'm going to be actually summarizing more than reading it this morning because of uh, the sake, for the sake of time, but, but what, let me give you a context. The, uh, the context is that Israel has been wandering for 40 years in the desert. And that's happened because they failed to, be, uh, to always take God at his word and to obey it. And so now, uh, all of that first generation of people who left Egypt have died off, except Joshua and Caleb. Because you'll remember when the spies were sent into the land, Joshua and Caleb were among them, and they came back with their report, and Joshua and Caleb said, let's go, let's do it, we can, we can do this, God has given us the land. But everybody else said, oh no, 
There's giants in the land. There's problems for us there. And God said, therefore, none of this generation shall enter the promised land um, except Joshua and Caleb. And that's where they're at at this point. Moses has died. Joshua has been appointed leader. And Joshua was a person who took God at his word and obeyed it. And I think as you read Joshua, you're struck as I am with the enthusiasm of the people to uh, cross over in faith uh, into this new land, but how easily and often they failed to maintain that faith, which led them to failure after failure and to uh, experience more battles and trials than they would have had to experience. And as you move from Joshua into Judges, uh, you, you see this continuation of this moral decay, this spiritual vacuum, and even civil war among the tribes of Israel. A lot could be said about what happened, but I, I think that they didn't maintain a hungry faith toward God, and God's plan for them got short-circuited. And from their experience, I want to just spend a few moments this morning talking about two expressions of faith, which I've called faulty faith, but we see these in chapters 15 to 19 that can short-circuit our relationship to God and then uh, talk about how we're going to grow hungry for Him so we can experience more of Him and more of His will and more of His kingdom life. Now, I'm not much of an artist, but I do want to draw you a picture this morning as I talk about this. The first one I want to talk about looks like this. High in hope, low in expectations. High in hope and low in expectations. What do I mean by that? We hope that God will do something. We may even pray about that, and, but we don't have the, enough faith to believe that he really will act to make it a reality. We have high hopes and low expectations. We believe that God is big, but we let the challenge or the need or the thing that's facing us and testing us, the thing that we're praying about, seem even bigger than God. And so I have three faith lessons for us this morning, and here's the first one. The first faith, faith lesson is this. Let your faith be defined by how big God is, not by how big the challenge is. How big is your God? I need that reminder just like you do because there are too many times that I, I, I'm tempted to back off on my faith and, and uh, nowhere does that show up perhaps more than in my uh, concerns for my family. I mentioned I have four grown adult kids and now grandkids and you know each of my kids have gone in the last few years have gone through some pretty severe testings. And we've, you know, walked through that with them. And one of them is a daughter who uh, health issues began with burnout in 2012. And, and so we're into 2019 and she's still struggling. And, and uh, even as I talked to her on the phone yesterday, she's having this bit of an anxiety attack and she's feeling, you know, overwhelmed. And, and, uh, uh, and I've been praying and as I've prayed for my other kids, I, I pray for miracles and I, I pray and I pray and I pray, but sometimes I think, Lord, it just goes on and on and on. When's it going to end? And I begin to be tempted to back off on my faith. But we can live with this low level of faith while hoping that God will do something. We pray like this, we pray in essence, uh, Lord, I pray for this, but, you know, if you'll pardon the expression, I think we all need a kick in the B-U-T of our faith at times. <laughs> 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 
I, we, we think, I believe God could do it, but, but my willingness to believe him to do it can be pretty low. And I think that that was the prevailing attitude in Israel. Even as they took possession of the land, God told them to take possession. God said repeatedly to them that it was theirs. But something really uh, tragic, I think, and sad happens, and it's illustrated in a couple of verses here I want to read. Chapter 15, verse 16, uh, 63, chapter 15. It says, it says, Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites lived there with the people of Judah. Now, we see this kind of thing again in the next chapter, 16, verse 10. They did not dislodge the Canaanites living in Gezer. To this day, the Canaanites live among the people of Ephraim, but are required to do forced labor. And then chapter 17, verse 12, similar thing. We see, yet the Manassites were not able to occupy these towns that they had mentioned, for the Canaanites were determined to live. They were determined to live in that area. And then again in chapter 19 and verse 47, it says about the tribe of Dan, but the Danites had difficulty taking possession of their territory, so they went up and attacked Leshem and took it and put it to the sword and occupied it. They settled in Leshem and named it Dan. In other words, what their territory allotment was, it was too hard. They looked at the, the, the challenge and they said, oh, that's too much, but we can, we can conquer this area. We can do this. And they settled for something else. People who have high hopes but low expectations. In each of these cases, I, I think they, they knew what God could do. They knew what he'd said. He, they knew what he could do and they failed to believe him for it and experience something less, something else, something far less. And I really find that ironic because of what happens in the lead up to that in the book of Joshua, you just see miracle after miracle happening. Uh, God doing things like parting the Jordan River and so they could cross into this new land and marching, marching around a city, Jericho, and seeing the walls collapse and, and conquering the city. And then in chapter 10, they, 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 they have this battle going with the five kings of the Amorites and, and God actually alters the path of the sun so that they could have longer daylight hours and complete their victory. Imagine that. And then in chapter 11, victory after victory over the northern tribes and, and, and the giants. They were called Anakites, but they were the giants of the land. And victory after victory, they'd seen all that. And yet they were unwilling to believe him. I find it ironic also because of what they charged Joshua with in the beginning of the, of the book. As they were about to enter the land, they said to their leader, be strong and courageous. But they were unwilling to be that themselves. Friends, how many times are we prone to live off the faith of others? We expect others, maybe Pastor Dan and leaders in this church, to have great faith but we're unwilling to really believe God ourselves for the things that we hope for and pray for. How often might we pray for something and we believe in God's ability to do it, but not really expecting him that he will do it? Of course, assuming it's his will. How many obstacles do we come up against in our lives and, and we believe that God is big enough to help us overcome that obstacle, but we fail to trust him to do that? 
and we fail to live the overcoming life. We fail to see God work. We fail to see him intervene. We fail to see him bless in ways uh, that only God can. Our, our hopes are high, but the fuel gauge of faith reads pretty low. In instance after instance, Israel chose the path of low, low faith or no faith and experienced only partial fulfillments, ongoing problems, and their eventual destruction. My dear friends, don't let your faith be defined by the difficulty of the situation or the challenge that faces you, or by how big the need is, but by how big God is. How big is your God? God had more for Israel than they experienced, and God has more for you. All right? But there's more. <laughs> the second expression of faulty faith, if I can go there next, is this one. It's low in hope and low in expectations. What do I mean by that? We believe in an almighty God in a, in a general sort of way, but we live with a pretty low level of hope that he will actually do much in our personal life. Pretty low expectations that despite who he is and what he's said, that he will supernaturally work in our everyday circumstances or really answer our prayers. Despite who he is and what he's told us, we live like we really don't believe that God will be all of that for me. Low in hope, low in expectations. So here's our faith lesson. Keep feeding your faith on the character and promises of God to avoid settling for less. Are you falling more in love with Christ because you're learning more and more about who he is and his promises to you? Of course, you learn that through experience, but you learn it really a lot through reading his word. Because cover to cover, it, it tells us who God is, what God is like, and what he has for us, and what he's promised us. And letting that knowledge make your relationship to him a reality. Throughout the book of Joshua, uh, he had seen time and time again that God was holy, and God was consistent, and God... Uh, was trustworthy, and that he meant what he says. And so he believed him, and he based his future and the future of his people on it. And when the end came for Joshua himself in chapter 23 and verse 14, he says this to the leaders of Israel. He says, You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Isn't that amazing? I think I'm more in love with Christ than ever. I'm more excited about his will and his plans for me because over time, I've been getting to know him better and getting to know his will and getting to know his character and his promises. And I've put that to the test enough that while my faith is far from perfect, it's a faith that is seeking to live with God-sized expectations that God will do what only God can do. Let's make this personal. Think of the thing in your life that's probably testing your faith more than anything else. Maybe it's something now. Maybe it's something that consistently is testing your faith. What is it? 
Bring it to mind. What's that thing, that challenge in your life that constantly tests your faith or is testing you now? Israel kept experiencing defeat and destruction because they focused more on the challenges than on the character and promises of God. And that also contributed to their readiness to take their eyes off of God and to follow uh, the false gods around them and the lifestyles around them that became the downward spiral in their lives. And the Bible says, if you can believe it, the Bible says they actually became worse than their neighbors. And that's what led to their downfall. I believe one of the ways that they settled for something other than what God had for them was that they lost the will to keep fighting when the going got tough. And that deflated their hope and that led them to lower their expectations of God's results for them. So they either just stopped believing or, or they stopped trying or like the tribe of Dan, they just looked for an easier alternative and said, ah, this is too hard, let's go over here and do this. Don't just settle in your faith journey. Don't just settle in your relationship with you know, your spiritual journey. Don't, don't live by a philosophy of eh, whatever. That might work in some things, but it's a terrible theology. You're, you will miss what God has for you, and it will cause ripples, maybe even waves in your life that will even affect the lives of those of everyone around you. Are you facing a challenge? Are you facing a difficulty right now? Are you facing a situation or obstacle that just seems overwhelming and you've tried to believe God for it, but you're tired of the battle? Or you've stopped believing that God is all that he says he is or that he means what he says? If that's you, I want to I urge and encourage you this morning, lean hard on Jesus. Lean hard into the promises of, Jesus, of God because those, he's true and his promises are true. They're yes and amen. We sang that this morning. They're yes and amen in Jesus. Faith is compromised. Faith is endangered when either of these two, either of these two ways of thinking takes root. Either believing that God is big, but the thing facing us is bigger. Or believing in God, but not really believing what he says or that he will help us deal with every part of our personal and sometimes messy lives. High hopes, low expectations, or low hopes and low expectations. Faulty faith. So how are we to live? Is there a way we can live that gets a different result than, than Israel got? Can we experience a relationship with Christ where we're growing hungrier and hungrier for him because we're experiencing more and more of him? And friends, the answer is a resounding, dynamic, capitalized, underscore, triple times, yes. So what is that way? What is that right kind of faith? That's what I want to draw up here next. Right faith. has high hope and high expectations. That's the, that's the right kind of faith we're talking about this morning. How is what you believe affecting the way you live? In 17, verse 17, Joshua says to Ephraim and Manasseh, who were preparing to go in and take their, their allotments of land, but they were shaking in their sandals because they knew what they were up against. 
And he says to, he says to them, you are numerous and powerful. You will not only have one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. Clear it, and its farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have iron chariots, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. You know, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. Faith sees the big picture, and it understands that there's a now, but there's also a not yet. Faith requires perseverance and a right view of God. Faith isn't just an intellectual belief, but it's an active way of living. James wrote in chapter 2, he said, What good is it if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Someone will say, Well, I have uh, deeds, you have faith. He says, Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. Like the, the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Faith is an inner belief that manifests itself in outward action. Ephesians 6, for example, tells us to put on the daily this armor of God and, uh, so we can do spiritual battle. And one of the weapons it mentions is, is faith. Faith doesn't run from the challenges or see challenges as being God ignoring us, but understands that it's the very things that challenge us that God uses to build our faith. That's why James wrote in chapter 1, he said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Faith understands that everything that we need is found in God, found in Christ, and even faith itself. If we feel like we're lacking in faith, we can ask for it. But remember, when you're asking for faith, God may allow some things in your life that will become the very tools he uses to answer your prayer. Faith understands that. And one of our jobs as as Christian leaders is to keep calling others to believe God for who he is and, and what he's said. But all of us, leaders included, have to keep putting faith into action by the way we live. All of us have to keep remembering that our lives aren't our own. The Bible says we've been bought with a price, the very precious blood of Jesus. And just like Jesus put it, all on the line for us, we're to put it all on the line for him. And live not in our own strength, but in his. Live not in our own ability, but in his. And we're to live like we know God, the the God that we serve, and that we understand his will for us, and we trust him for everything because we really believe he can do anything. So we're willing time and time again to put our faith, and friends, maybe at some point even our lives on the line, to test his promises. And in doing that, we'll find that not my will, but yours be done, becomes more than just words in a prayer, but becomes a reality. And we'll find that in doing that, he reveals more and more of himself to us, and he helps us to understand things that the Bible says the natural man just can't understand. And we'll enter into a deeper and more fulfilling experience of him and his will for us and for those that we touch in our families and beyond. You want that? I do. I hope you want that. 
So I want to call you to grow in your faith, to exercise your faith, to practice your faith, to stretch your faith, and let Christ satisfy you with more of himself, more of his will, more of his kingdom experience. So that the greatest desires of your life are not, not the fading things of this world, but they are for him and for the eternal future that he's prepared for his children, his people. And that includes you. Would you pray with me? I, uh, I want to just invite us to come before God with open hearts and minds and honest spirits. I think a time like this of prayer can become a an opportunity for some personal inventory of our faith. And whether we're operating on faith and we're hungry for God, or whether we're going to settle for something less than what Jesus suffered and died and rose again to give us. So what's testing your faith? What is it? Will you admit that and and give it to God and trust Him to work it out and use it in your life and keep trusting Him. What is it you're desiring for God to do this year that just seems so overwhelming, so unlikely, so impossible? How big is your God? What is it you've been avoiding because it just seems so overwhelming? Are you letting that giant defeat you when you know the God who specializes in killing giants? What fear is holding you back from trusting God more? You know, fear can be a thief, robbing you of all that God wants for you to experience. But God says, don't fear, I am with you, always. What is it in your life that, where you need to say, more of Jesus and less of me. And would you pray this morning into that area and just say, Lord, come into that area. More of you and less of me. Where do you need to let go of something? Maybe someone, maybe something, that, and let God take over who can do anything. Would you let go and let Christ take over so that you can experience more of him? and more of his will for you, and so that the the effect of that in your life will spill over into the lives of those that you touch. Oh, Lord, we hunger for you. We want you. Continue to grow us. Continue to stretch us. Help us. Help us in this area of our faith that we may know more of you, know you more deeply, experience you more fully and be so, become more and more excited about the things of the kingdom as we grow to understand these things better. We offer ourselves to you. We offer these prayers to you. And we pray them in the powerful and the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen.